tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Well, Hello. We're back, sort of. I mean, just learning the finer points of grammar. Yes, uh, the voice in my head just talked about learning the finer points of grammar. Did you know uh, nobody ever uses shall anymore, and they certainly don't use it properly? It the future tense uh, in English is I shall, you will, he will, we shall, you will, they will. Unless you're using the familiar one, it's thou shalt. Okay. Goodness gracious. Or thou wilt. Thou wilt. Thou wilt. And when you reverse them, it's emphatic. So I will is emphatic and you shall is emphatic. Nobody does that anymore. I was raised in a very archaic home, which explains a lot. Let's pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle them in the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit. They shall be created and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, Prince of the heavenly host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, let us go now to the big book on the coffee table. You know the one, the Bible. I want to go to the gospel first for very specific reasons. Uh, And I'll let you know what those reasons are. Luke, the 11th chapter the 29th verse and following. While still more people gathered in the crowd. Well, let's look at the context of that. All right. All right. Uh, let's see here. Uh, this is after a, a an exorcism. Let, let's look at the whole context. Um, verse 14 of the chapter. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone, the mute person spoke, and the crowds were amazed. Some said, by the power of Beelzebul, prince of demons, he drives out demons. I have shared with you the, now don't try this at home, methodology of exorcisms. You get the name of a big demon, and it's supposed to scare away a little demon. And so they would make these long lists of, of, of sometimes nonsense words that might be demon names, and uh, these, when, when, when the scripture says, don't babble on like the pagans, as it did yesterday, I believe yesterday, um, that's what we're not supposed to do. This kind of superstitious, the prayer doesn't work unless you use this word. Now, this is not true of the sacraments, because the sacraments are the property of the church. They aren't the property of the clergyman uh, officiating at the sacrament. So I must use the precise words of consecration. I can't vary those, because... It's the church speaking, not me, the Lord through the church. But in, in private prayer, 
You know, some people say, can I change this word in the Hail Mary? Sure you can if you're praying privately. Uh, but the Hail Mary doesn't work then. What do you mean the Hail Mary doesn't work then? So that's the idea. That's that's the babbling on, that the precision of words. Romans a, a, Romans believed that you had to make the, the incantations to the gods very exact. And there was a Roman uh, patrician senator who had a terrible stutter, and they just loved to make him high priest of the Roman religion or give him a priestly function because it meant that they would spend hours and hours while he tried to get through the ceremony, and they thought that was a hoot, the senators. They didn't take their religion seriously at all. But that's the idea that, that well, it's the precision of the words that, that make the gods do what you want. That's absolute superstition, and we do not do that. Uh, uh, um, we don't do that. So there you go. Um, <clears throat> so Jesus is being accused of using uh, the power of Beelzebul to cast out demons because he's doing it better than the rabbis do. Rabbis were considered exorcists in the ancient world. That was part of the job description. So then he talks about the strong man, uh, which gets very confusing, but uh, let's talk about verse 24. When an unclean spirit goes out of someone at Rome's uh, finding no home, it says, I will return to my home whence I came. And then... Somebody shouts out from the crowd in verse 27, Blessed the womb that bore you and the breast that nursed you. He says, Rather, blessed those who hear the word of God and observe it. He's bad for business. <laughs> While still more people gathered in the crowd, he said, And this generation is an evil generation. It seeks a sign. In other words, uh, he was challenging the, the authorities who said, uh, you know, you're conspiring with the devil to drive out demons. And Jesus says, you know, you want me to prove this. And it can't be done. Uh, <clears throat> but you'll see it's true. As Jonah—and now there's our word, as. As Jonah became assigned to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. In what way was Jonah assigned to the Ninevites? Well, he was sent by God to—, to Tell the Ninevites to repent from their sins. Who are the Ninevites? Assyrians. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. This would have been like sending a, a, a rabbi to preach in Berlin in 1943. Jonah didn't want to go. The Queen of the South. What's the Queen of the South? Ethiopia, Yemen. Uh, there was a. There, if you run into Ethiopian Christians or Assyrian Christians. They are valiant. So uh, uh, at the judgment, the men of Nineveh will rise with this generation. In other words, the rabbis are saying, it, you have to do it our way. And the Lord is saying, you're going to see the sign of Jonah. And we always think of that as the resurrection. That certainly is part of it. But the sign of Jonah is that non-Israelites can hear God's word and be saved. And within a, 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 a lifetime of of the death and resurrection of Christ, um, there were there were people preaching in Northern Europe and in Africa and as far as India and and as far west as England that that the world came into uh, uh, the church uh, within a generation after Christ. There were Christians throughout the the, the old world. 
So I think that, that that's the sign of Jonah, the universality of the faith. So uh, um, I think this is, this is an important thing to understand. So now the problem with this is that uh, we go to the first reading, and there is no record of any kind of—what's the word? There's no record of any great uh, religious change among the Assyrians— uh, before the time of Christ. Uh, this idea of Nineveh repenting, it's just not there in the archaeological or, or uh, uh, paleographical, in other words, written stuff. There's no written or, or physical reason to think this is so. And I've heard people say, well, that clearly indicates that Jesus was not God because he didn't, he made this thing up and he really, he didn't understand the Bible. He really thought this really happened with Jonah I shared with you the other day about the five blind men who went to see an elephant. And, you know, my point in that story was each of them saw the, the elephant in his perspective. But you standing back, you look at it and you say, it's not like a tree. It's not like a fire hose. It's not like a wall. An elephant is only like an elephant because you're sighted. You see the whole thing. The, and I, I made the point that the first chapters of the book of Genesis are literally true from God's point of view. Paleontologist sees it this way. A physicist sees it that way. Uh, an astrophysicist sees it another way. Was it 14 billion years or seven days? And the answer, of course, as I said the other day, is yes. So it is with the story of Jonah. It may be a parable, but it is true from God's point of view. And if you meet an Ethiopian or an Assyrian today, they are devout believers. They have resisted the incursions of anti-Catholic people for two millennia. Two millennia, they have resisted the persecution of the Christian faith, and they are valiant. I have lots of Assyrian friends valiant in their faith. I have quite a number of Ethiopian friends. I was in a parish where there was, were Eritreans and Ethiopians. I was in a parish where there were a lot of Assyrians and, and Chaldeans. Devout. You know, I, I, I shared this earlier today, but I'll share it again. Uh, the definition of a fanatic is someone who loves Jesus more than you do. And believe me, in that sense, the Assyrians and the Ethiopians are pretty fanatical. They will stay in church for hours and hours, whereas we're looking at our watch. If the sermon goes over five minutes, they are devout. So this, is, this was fulfilled at the preaching of Jonah. Uh, the the uh, Assyrians and the Ethiopians uh, accepted the Lord. Well, the the Assyrians accept after the preaching of Jonah. Uh, so it's it's just you know we look at this from our perspective, and well, it's not true. It is most certainly true. Now let us get back to the text itself. This generation is an evil generation. It seeks a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah. And I've explained that I believe that the sign of Jonah has to do with the universality of the church. But this idea of being an evil generation that, that looks for a sign. Um, again, a story I'm sure I've told you many times. I remember the story uh, told by Sister Bridge McKenna of a priest who was having great doubts to, in, his, in his faith. Uh, and he was talking to Sister Bridge McKenna on the eve of a retreat for priests that she was doing. And... Uh, <clears throat> He was saying, if only I could see one miracle. You know, now you see it, now you don't miracle. And uh, he said that would, that, would, that would strengthen his faith. 
and, and he would believe. Well, the rest of the participants in the retreat came later in the day. It was going to be a Friday um, or an evening session. I don't think it was a Friday, but it was an evening session. And um, uh, one priest had brought his father, who had a severely uh, gangrenous toe. The doctor had said, that toe has got to come off immediately. The old man said, no, I'm going on a retreat with my son, the priest. God's going to heal me. He said, well, the minute the retreat's over, you get to the hospital. We're taking that toe off, <laughs> the faith of the doctor. Well, they had their first session. Then after the first session, before going to bed on Friday night, they pr prayed for individuals, and this old man asked for prayer for his, his, uh, his foot and his toe. And in the morning, they're all awakened by this old man shouting, I'm healed, I'm healed, it's a miracle. Well, they ran downstairs and looked at this guy's foot. His toe was perfect. The, the gangrene was gone. It was like the toe of a teenager. And this priest who had said, if only I could see a miracle, I believe, he said, who was at the doctor with him? Uh, who, did anybody see the x-rays or a medical report? This priest couldn't believe it. He wouldn't believe it. And there's another, I, I've, I've shared this book, uh, um, uh, uh, Paul Glynn, Father Paul Glynn, The Healing Fire of Christ. Paul, is it Paul Lynn or Paul Glynn? Uh, Paul Glynn, it's Paul Glynn, yeah. Paul Glynn, voice in my head's just questioning my... My absolute knowledge is the Reverend Know-It-All. <laughs> thank God he does. Um, but <clears throat> Paul Glynn, I think that's his name, uh, Healing Fire of Christ, he talks about this great French author who wrote Jacques. Uh, oh, come on. What was the French author's name? He wrote Jacques. Oh, he was one of the, the great French authors of the 19th century. Uh, no, not Dumont. It was... Um, who was it? Well, he wrote a book on Lourdes. He's going to write the definitive book on Lourdes. And he, Emile Zola, Emile Zola, who wrote the great Jacques about the, uh, the uh, uh, trial of, uh, of Dreyfus, very anti-Semitic uh, situation then in France. Well, <clears throat> he took the pilgrimage train down from Paris to Lourdes. And on the pilgrimage train, he met three women who were obviously dying of a physical condition. It was, you could see it. And he befriended them and got to know their situation. And then he, when he got to Lourdes, he went to the medical bureau, which I don't know that they still have. I think they've tried, there's so many miracles, they've given up documenting them. Well, he went to the, uh, 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 the medical bureau, talked to the head of the medical bureau at Lourdes, because Catholics, we've always got to make sure this is for real. And um, he said, if I see one paper cut healed by the waters of Lourdes, I'll believe. Well, a few days later, the head of the, uh, the organization called him in. He, Zola thought it was reprehensible that these women were being dragged down to Lourdes. Why should they were clearly dying? They should stay at home and die in their own beds. Why were they doing this to these poor women? Well, this doctor called Emile Zola and said, the three women that you mentioned, they've all been healed. And he saw these women in health. And he looked at them and he said, and he said to the head of the bureau, he said, if all of the sick and lords are healed, I will still not believe. He refused to believe. And the, the, uh, um, he wrote the book on Lourdes, and he, he had them all die on the way back home. One of them married and had a lot of children. I think one of them had a religious life. I forget what happened to the third. But he lied. Because his own refusal to trust God, his own refusal to believe, won over what was clearly and visibly the truth.
And, you know, the point I'm trying to make here is that miracles do not make faith. Faith makes miracles. You trust the Lord and he works a miracle. You don't see a miracle and then trust the Lord. There are exceptions to that, I know. But it's our faith is that we trust Christ. And the result is that he transforms us. And he works the miracle that we need, not always the miracle that we demand or want. But the miracle that he works in our life is the miracle that we need to get to heaven. So understand that. Faith makes miracles. Miracles don't make faith. And you can refuse the grace of God even when you see something like a miracle. Think of Judas, who had a life of signs and wonders for years and still was able to deny Christ. That said, we're going to take a break. We will come back with letters 888-914-9149. We will be back, God willing. Our sponsor, the University of Dallas, provides a rigorous liberal arts education that forms the whole person for wisdom, truth, and virtue. Learn more about The Catholic University for independent thinkers at relevantradio.com forward slash Dallas. What is it has a trunk but no key, weighs 2,000 pounds, and lives in a psychic? That's irrelevant. Irrelevant? Hey, that's the answer. There's a whole lot of relevance in the psychics. Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. I'm back in the saddle again Out where a friend is a friend Where the longhorn cattle feed on the lowly jimson weed I'm back in the saddle again Ah, uh, back in, back on the radio again hey, where was I, you know? In the words of the great American philosopher Rodney King, can't we all just get along? All right, moving along. Let's go to letters. Okay, I had a letter here way down. Okay, I think I took care of that one. Now let me go back up. Okay, okay. There we go. There's the way. Ah, no, that. okay. Here it is. Here's one. I've been listening to Catechism in a Year this past week with Father Mike Cover, The Fall of the Angels. Perhaps other people are pondering the subject. My question is, if a formerly good angel, Satan, with no evil to tempt him, could still reject God, is it possible that a human being in heaven could reject God also? I'd like to think that if I made it to heaven, I will be eternally free from all temptation— and safe in God's love. So is it possible that my guardian angel could choose to reject God? It is a good question, and I will give an answer that's completely confusing. Well, in the letter to St. James, uh, we read, Do not say that when you are tempted, you are tempted of God. Very interesting. Uh, um, no, I didn't, uh, I didn't get it, but it says that there. Trust me. Temp... Said uh, that uh, that's uh, James one thirteen. Let me let me let me read it. Um, uh, okay, click on that. Okay, 
When tempted, no one should say God is tempted, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. In other words, we don't need the devil to tempt us. We do a perfectly fine job of tempting ourselves. Now, remember, the word tempt in Greek is the exact same word as test. Let no one say when they are tested, they are tested by God. I remember hearing a Pentecostal preacher say, why didn't God put uh, the devil in jail and hell? You know, he let him out. Why? Well, he said, because you need him. (laughs) What? I need the devil? No, the devil is the agent of temptation, but we do a fine job of of evidencing what is in us. Remember, the purpose of temptation, as I said the other day, is so that we might find out what is in our hearts and thus repent of it when we admit it, when we confess it. So, you know, the, the God allowed a situation in which what was in the heart of the angel of light, Lucifer, that's what Lucifer means, light bearer. Let's call him light bearer. When light bearer, the angel, uh, uh, manifested what was in his heart. Now, <clears throat> I am big, and my classmate, Father Branken constantly accuses me of heresy with this, of what I call omnitemporality. I always say that for God, all moments are now, all places are here. For God, that's true. But there has to be, you know, time is the measure of change. That's one of the definitions of time. And there has to be time in a certain sense in in purgatory, in heaven. Uh, but it's, it's much different than our sense of time, I suspect, that that certain things, there is change in one sense in heaven, but could you imagine experiencing all time at once? I can't. You can't. But the point being that in heaven, time is a different experience. It's a different sense of time. So the idea that... that uh, God gave the opportunity in some way or other for the angels to manifest their inner desire. And God looking at things does not see, let's see what he's going to do. Let's see who he is. Let him see who he is. It's a different sort of time, I suspect. And again, I haven't been there, so I don't know, but I'm kind of guessing at this. Now, what this means, I think practically, is that change doesn't happen in time. You know, our time is A, B, C, D, E, F, G. God looks at the whole alphabet at once. And who we have chosen to be, who we are, and who you can't say the devil will be or the devil was. The devil is because God, who is timeless, sees him from the beginning to the end. That's what's going on here. So we can only think of it in, in, in terms of terrestrial time, but I don't think it works that way. I don't know if I'm making it more confusing or less confusing, but the idea that, well, today the angel is loves God, but tomorrow maybe not. You can't say today and tomorrow regarding celestial the celestial calendar the calendar you of heaven. Are correct, sir. Yes. What? <laughs> I think that's the voice in my head saying, "Move on." <laughs> so I, I just think it's a fascinating thing, and we assume that our dimension is the only dimension. We Christians believe in multidimensionality. Science is catching up with us. All right, that's sad. Let me click and move on. 
All right. Let's see. Uh, this is an interesting letter from somebody. Uh, this is, I'm uh, in the Milwaukee Archdiocese. Um, and uh, it was talking about, she was talking about uh, someone who uh, was in the Milwaukee Archdiocese. And I, I don't want to be too specific, but he's very influential in, in leadership in the diocese. And uh, it just, she's pointing out how the seminary collapsed and, and, uh, 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 just people who were looking for the Catholic faith in the 70s just couldn't find it. Now, in Milwaukee, you see, I guess I'm shilling for a buddy of mine, but um, Archbishop Listecki is, he is an inspiration. His seminary is full. She's talking about the people who left the seminary. Well, things change, and this idea of praying for vocations is a very, very real thing. Um, and God has it, um, God has it, all in his care. And, uh, you know, people who might have despaired of things in 20, 30, 40 years ago, well, all I know is that uh, Archbishop Listecki is much loved by his people and his seminary is full. He holds up a, uh, I think he holds up a, a beautiful example of what, what the priesthood and the episcopate can be. He is... Uh, a remarkable man. So enough with that. Enough with that. So, you know, we got a lot of guys like that in the church. You know, people are so ready to despair of the church. Don't, because uh, um, God God does things. Okay, this is. Uh, oh, I think I read this one, uh, but uh, it was somebody something during Ash Wednesday that that a woman saw a child playing with the host, a, a kid who had not had first communion. I want to talk a little more about this. A child who had not clearly not made his or her first communion was playing around with the blessed sacrament. She went and took it from him. Did she do the right thing? I think she most certainly did. Be kind when you do it. You can say a lot of a lot of things with a smile instead of a frown. I think it's it's important that even when we are called to reprimand someone, that we reprimand them as kindly as we can. You don't you don't save you don't you don't hold back on the reprimand. That's an obligation of the believer. But you don't have to uh, do it in a spirit of anger. Uh, you can do it. You can reprimand someone in a spirit of love. I mean, we are so used to anger as kind of our go-to emotion when we disagree with someone. That's not God's approach, that you tell the truth, you speak the truth in love. And that's, that's important. So, uh, you know, that... You were right to take the blessed sacrament from that child, and you said, "Dear, let me, let me have it. That's that's a little bit dangerous." Um, you know, when some little kid comes, I don't know if I, I got I got yelled at for doing this, but I think it's an approach. When some kid comes up who's clearly not made his first communion and wants the blessed sacrament, and the parent is kind of pushing them, you know, go on up and you know get the blessing, or well, if they give you the the lucky chip, that's fine too, because that's what people think that the blessed sacrament is half the time. <clears throat> I say to them, you can't, but I want it, I want it. And they start crying. I say, no, that's like medicine. It's only for older people. Someday you'll get it. But it, it's kind of like medicine, which the scripture says it is. You know, <laughs> scripture is clear that it is it is God's healing medicine for the soul. So um, if you are in a position where you have to deny a, a child, don't do the W.C. Fields thing. Go away, kid, you bother me. No, <laughs> of course, young people don't even know who W.C. Fields is. Humbug. 
No, what you do is you say, oh, that's kind of like medicine, and it's not good for little children. I'll take that. That's what you do. All right. I think that that's enough said, so why don't we go to a break, and we will come back with a word of the day. Oh, the phone number, the phones are open at 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. We will be right back. Battling addictions? Our sponsor, St. Gregory Recovery Center, can help you or a loved one live a substance-free life. Information at RelevantRadio.com slash Gregory. That's RelevantRadio.com slash Gregory. And every time it rains, it rains. Panties from heaven. Shoo-be-doo-be. Don't you know each cloud contains panties from heaven? Shoo-be-doo-be. Shooby-dooby? What in the name of sweet heavenly glory does shooby-dooby mean? My goodness. Well, It's from your era, Father. No, don't you know? Shooby-dooby? Uh, lyrics. They don't write them like they used to. Okay, moving along. Let's go to the word of the day. Well, kind of two words of the day. The word for, oh gosh, I just had it and I let it go. But the word of the day... Uh, um, for the crowds pressed around. This is a very vivid word. It's, I think it's epithroidzo. Let me let me pull that up again. It really means, uh, um, uh, well, to press in. It's 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 kind of like make a mob. So I, I think that's kind of a neat one. Uh, let me pull that up. Uh, Luke eleven twenty nine. As the crowds were increasing, they trans. It's kind of untranslatable. It's uh, let me let me get it here. Epathroidzomenon. It's quite a word. And what it, oh, it's not, yeah, the voice might ask me, is that a prescription? It sounds like, yeah. Uh, it means to to assemble upon, but it really means to crowd in. Uh, so uh, this is getting embarrassing to the authorities, as I said, but that's not really the word of the day I wanted. Um, but you can see when someone, when touching someone can heal you, you want to touch them. Believe me, that's that's something. And um, it must have been fascinating to watch Jesus trying to function when the crowds wouldn't. He that's why he often left left town. All right, moving along here. But the one I really want to talk about was Simeon, which means a sign. Have you ever thought about signs? <clears throat> a sign says something. Um, a stop sign. It says stop. A sign says something. What is the purpose of a miracle? I mean, when you think about it, everybody Jesus healed got sick again and died eventually. What's the point of it? What's the purpose of a miracle? Purpose of a miracle is to say something, to speak, to give a word. And people were looking for not the word, but the convenience of it. So, when you are in a difficult situation, I think that that what we need to say to the Lord is, "Speak, Lord, your servant listens." Um, that that when when He's got you down for the count, and there you are laying in a sickbed, wondering what's going on. I remember hearing the story of a a minister who was in a terrible accident, and uh, he's saying to the Lord, um, "Lord, why do you let this happen?" And he said, "You've been going so fast; it's the only way I can stop you to speak to you." And the man said, oh, that's just my imagination. 
And the little voice inside said, yes, it is. I made your imagination. Can't I use it to speak to you? You know, the Lord wants to speak to you. Uh, that God makes everything from his word. And even miracles are a sign. You know, they don't, they're not there to, to, to convince us, uh, but to, to kind of emphasize that what we have heard is true. Uh, they don't prove anything. If you want to refuse to believe a miracle, you're welcome to do so. Uh, people can think there. I remember hearing that uh, uh, people talked about the, the sun falling at Fatima as it must have been swamp gas. I think the scholars who said that were full of swamp gas. But that said, we're going to go now to phones. And if God is giving you a sign, say, what are you trying to say, There's something the matter with your No, fear. no, the phones are fine. Let's go to Ella from Lockhart, Texas. Ella, what can I do for you? Um, hello, Father Simon. Hello. I would like to um, know how Jesus can be the Alpha and the Omega, but he can also be infinite. Well, that's a, that's a profound question, Ella. Uh, and uh, Alpha and Omega, for people who don't know, that's the first letter in the alphabet and the last letter in the alphabet. And what Jesus is saying, I am A to Z, and everything in between, essentially, but I'm A to Z. You know, uh, um, in his humanity, you see, creation has a beginning and an end. And in his humanity, Jesus is the beginning of creation. Jesus is the Word of God. We read that in the Gospel of John, that uh, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is God's Word. Jesus is God's ultimate statement about his own nature. You want to get to know what God is like? Get to know Jesus. He was there at the beginning. It was through him that everything was created. He was the blueprint. His love and his generosity, which he demonstrated on the cross, that was the blueprint for the universe. And he's going to be there at the end of the universe. So Jesus, in his divinity, is timeless. But in his humanity, even though it's a perfect humanity, it covers the entire creation. Does that help, Ella? Yeah. Good, good, good. Yeah, that's a great question. So keep keep studying, keep learning. You're young, and uh, if you keep at it, you will you will certainly know more than I do. God bless you. Good. I'm honored that you listen, Thank Ella. You. All right. Say hi to your folks. Let's go now to Catherine from Sausalito, California. I've been to Sausalito back when it was uh, just kind of a hippie settlement. Uh, I'm old. What can <laughs> I, remember the hippie days of Sausalito? I don't think you do, but I do. Oh, oh boy. I, <laughs> well, uh, there's a lot of stories about it. That's oh, yes. Sure. Oh, yes. It's yeah. Juanita's Bar well, across the bay. But go on. Moving along. <laughs> Not that I know anything about Juanita's Bar. Moving along. Moving along. Well, okay. <laughs> Come on. Fish me out of the fire uh, here, Catherine. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, my question is, you know, the Jewish people have such a strong uh, feeling about the Messiah. And it's going on, you know, for, for centuries. That um, where did the... Where did they get that original idea? I know they thought they were going to save him. Was it because, uh, was it after King David? Or um, was there some prophet who said a Messiah will come? How, how did that all originate? That's a fascinating question and a, a very good one. It originated rather slowly. Um, the, the Messiah wasn't thought of as a person so much as an age in the first beginning, that there would be a time 
when when there would be a messianic era and they didn't they didn't use the word messiah for it but there would be an era in which everything would be wonderful uh and eventually uh, that would have been oh, like you read about that in in Isaiah you you'll read about uh on this mountain the lord will have a great banquet that kind of thing um then gradually the idea that that there would be somebody who would bring about this age, a descendant of David. So it really, the idea of a Messiah as a person, I think really started in the promises of God to David. And they grew up alongside the hope of a messianic era. And then they really came together, I suspect, in the popular consciousness uh, um, uh, in, in the time of the exile to Babylon because they needed someone who would bring them back. That's my thinking on it. But you do see individuals, uh, individual prophets. Oh, gosh, what are some of the individual prophets? You see the individual prophet who um, uh, who says, uh, he, oh, that, that would be uh, Malachi. I think, is it Malachi? Uh, or is it Habakkuk who says uh, he will come with, oh, it's Micah, I believe. He will come with healing in his wings. In other words, in the hem of his hmm. garment. So... The later prophets have a clear vision of, of, of a Messiah. Um, but it's okay. very interesting. The Bible calls uh, Cyrus the Great of Persia a Messiah. It just means an anointed one. So the idea became more and more specific as it went along. Does that help, your, help answer your question? Yeah. Well, I mean, the, uh, it helps a lot that, that there were some prophets who oh, were sure. telling the, the Jewish people that, you know, that this is something that will happen. I just didn't know oh, yeah. how they, uh, and there's such a um, strong feeling about a Messiah, and they're still waiting for the Messiah. It, you know, I just couldn't figure out where that came from. Um, not just a hope that someone, someday things are going to get better, but they had a, had, had a hold on to something that, that, uh, led them to have such a strong feeling. So I think the fact that um, the prophets were saying it, that that probably is, you know, makes sense to me. Well, yeah, actually people like the Sadducees, they didn't, they didn't think there were Messianic prophecies. But you have Daniel oh. and you have like Daniel, uh, uh, very clear, the prophecy of the 70 weeks and the, 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 the son of man coming from heaven. Uh, and you get Ezekiel. These were all right around the time of the exile. David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they shall have one shepherd. They will walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. That's Ezekiel 37. So there are all sorts uh -huh. of references in the prophets to this age uh -huh. and a person who will bring it about. So, uh, okay. so I hope that helps. That's, that's well, good. That well, helps a lot. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much. Well, God bless, Catherine. All right, I always I enjoy listening to your show all the way well, from Sausalito. Well, I'm honored that you do. And good old Sausalito, where I went when I was a kid. My sister moved to California, and we saw all those places when they were nothing. And they're poor little 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 fishing towns. It was fun. Yeah. All right. Well, God yeah. bless, Catherine. Okay. Thanks for listening. All right. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Let's go to Christy from Jefferson, Wisconsin. Are you with us, Christy? Yes, Father. Hi. I'm just wondering, trying to have a discussion with a fallen away Catholic, um, who one of her problems is Christianity. She's done so much research, and she believes in reincarnation and the accounts that she's read, and I just, I guess, don't quite know how to bring across our point and how there is no such thing. 
Well, one always uses the proof text in the Bible. Uh, it is appointed for man to die once and then the judgment. It's very interesting. There's some Jewish sects that believe in reincarnation. Like I know the the, uh, the Lubavitcher Hasidim, especially the Luriak uh, Kabbalists. <laughs> That's all kind of weird and complicated. But the Luriak Kabbalists of the Lubavitcher Hasidim, they believe in reincarnation. I remember Rabbi Lefka saying, we believe in resurrection from the dead and we believe in reincarnation. Which one will be re- resurrected at? We haven't any idea. Um, <clears throat> the way that, you know, I I. I I think that there are all these accounts you can see on YouTube of kids who remember a former life. When I look at those, I think, is there such a thing as haunting? And people are assuming when they have memories of past lives that it's reincarnation. They may just be haunted. And then again, it may be nonsense. Who knows uh, that, that what one needs to do is to look at the person of Jesus there is no, I mean, the last call is kind of uh, germane to this question, that we have a Messiah. And, you know, I, I think that it seems clear from the scriptures that we die once. Um, maybe there are exceptions. I don't think there are, but that's not the point. The point is that we are going to be judged at some point. And reincarnation is its own kind of judgment, if, if were it true, and I don't think it is. What you want to do is talk to her not about the points of theology, but about Christ. If you bring her to Christ, I always say evangelism is not arguing someone into agreeing with your theology. Evangelism is bringing to Christ. The best way you can do that is by praying with someone. You listen to her, and you get to know her problems. Listen to her And when she really opens up and lets you know, this is bothering me and I'm worried about this and I'm afraid of this, would you like me to say a little prayer with you? Well, all right. Close your eyes and then just talk to Jesus. Say, Jesus, you've entered my life and you've been such a blessing. I ask you to touch my friend and to to let her know you love her. That's, That's what we're going for. You can't convince her of Christian theology before she is convinced of Christ. So evangelism is bringing people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. He'll do the rest. So say you believe in uh, in reincarnation. I don't think there's enough proof for it. You see all sorts of things on YouTube, but you also see Sasquatch videos on YouTube. Who knows? Uh, uh, but I do know Christ. Does that help a little, Christy? Yeah. That actually helps a whole heck of a lot. And she is on her way. She is well on her way, and she is open. So I'm just going to keep. But, yeah, it is hard to to argue without her even believing. So just just get her believing. Okay. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Thank you. Have a blessed day. God bless you. All right. Let us, uh, um, where are we going now? Uh, Let's go to Carolyn in Apple Valley. Are you with us, Carolyn, in Apple Valley, California? Yes, I am, Father. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I'm really distraught. My son, Drew Ulam, hung himself on oh Sunday, February 26th. He oh. was 52 years old. Oh, my. He lived, he lived in Dallas, Texas with his wife and his twin girls. Oh. And I, I, he, he went to, very briefly, he has struggled with faith. Yeah. He started out late being Catholic, baptized and confirmed. Mm-hmm. And then he went with Calvary Chapel when it first started um, and went to Bible college, 
and then he um, he got his bachelor's degree in theology. He wanted the dream was to teach in a seminary mm-hmm. theology. He was just starting to work on his master's. He lives in Dallas, and lately he told me he'd been struggling with unbelief. And then he told me about reading a book about near-death experiences and how beautiful heaven was for these people that died for a few seconds and then came back. And he was he was positive about his dad being there. And, and then his stepdad, my husband, who just died, I'm still grieving over him. He died last June, and he said, Mom, Ed will be suddenly handsome. And, and my last encounter with him was a text on Friday. I said, Drew, I saw that movie the 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 Jesus Revolution and it was about um, Calvary Chapel and all they started and he was a missionary for a period of time through Calvary and that's where he met his wife and I told him it was interesting and I enjoyed it so so on and so forth and his response was fond memories it was my last communication with him but he left my daughter-in-law a very they said a very grim letter that was very dark. He hung himself in their bedroom, and his twin girls, they're, they're graduating from high school, and their 18th birthday is his March, and his wife's birthday is his March. I don't understand how he could do that. Well, there is no understanding it. I'm gonna, I want you to pause for just a, a minute, Carolyn, and I want you to, you're someplace you can be seated. You're sitting? Yes, I'm sitting in my car listening to okay. you. Okay, you're not driving at the moment. No, 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 no. Okay, I want you to close your eyes and take a deep breath. Can you do that? Yes. And I want everybody who's listening to me to join in prayer, asking God to bless Carolyn and to bless her son. What's your son's first name? Drew. Drew. Lord, we're all together here. I don't know how many people are listening, but every one of us is brokenhearted for Carolyn and, and... we ask you to embrace Drew, bring him to your, bring him to your heart, and he wanted you, Lord. And this depression overcame him, and we don't know why he did this, but Lord, to you, not a single tear is lost. And I ask you to draw. He wanted you, Lord, and and he sought you. So I ask you. You said that if you come to me. I will, I will not turn you away. I ask you to embrace him to your heart. And at the same time, I want you to console Carolyn that, that this, this, let this not be a victory for the enemy. And I ask you to bless Drew's wife and his children and to let them know that, that even in this case, even in this situation, your mercy is, is, is more powerful than the, than the devil's, uh, and the devil's tricks. I ask you to bless them and to fill them with hope of eternal life. You know, there's nothing to say, Carolyn, that can explain it. It's just, you know, that that um, I would say uh, the church was very down on suicide in Roman times because the Romans were big into what people are into now, the, the kind of uh, premeditated and planned uh, suicides. But those sudden attacks of depression, they may, they may be as physical as anything, that, that a brain hormone goes. And, and God, you know, if a person is overcome by, by a depression or something, God's judgment is very merciful. I love what C.S. Lewis said, that no one is trying to get people to heaven as, as urgently as God does. 
we love these people so much in our life, but God loves them even more. And um, uh, I cannot conceive of the pain you're experiencing, but I want you to know that the whole relevant radio listening audience will be praying for you. I certainly will. And I will offer Mass for the repose of the soul of Drew and for the consolation of his family. So, um, you know, you take a deep breath and you say, Lord, Jesus, I trust in you. It's, it's the most one can do in these horrible situations. Lord, you know all things, and you know what was in Drew's heart, that he wanted you and desired to see and love you, and this world, for some reason, had become too much for him. Don't let, don't let us be overcome by that same uh, sadness, but give us the hope of eternal life. God bless you, Carolyn. And as I said, we will all be praying for you. Um, Thank you so much. I enjoy yeah. your show. Well, I, I can I can think of nothing. I, you know, you will be on my mind for for for, for quite a while because, um, you know, the, remember the Blessed Mother suffered the death of her son, and some people said he could have gotten out of it, but he went straight to the cross. I'm not comparing the cross to suicide, but I'm saying the Blessed Mother experienced the pain you're experiencing uh, in the death of her son, and so I would turn to her also, remember, most gracious virgin.